Dead Souls, Part One, Chapter Four, Section One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dead Souls, by Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol, translated by D. J. Hogarth, Part One, Chapter Four, Section One. On reaching the tavern, Chichikov called a halt. His reasons for this were twofold, namely that he wanted to rest the horses and that he himself desired some refreshment. In this connection, the author feels bound to confess that the appetite and the capacity of such men are greatly to be envied. Of those well-to-do folk of St. Petersburg and Moscow who spend their time in considering what they shall eat on the morrow and in composing a dinner for the day following, and who never sit down to a meal without first of all injecting a pill and then swallowing oysters and crabs and a quantity of other monsters, while eternally departing from Carlsbad or the Caucasus, the author has but a small opinion. Yes, they are not the persons to inspire envy. Rather, it is the folk of the middle classes. Rather, it is the folk of the middle classes. Rather, it is the folk of the middle classes. Folk who at one post-house call for bacon, and at another for a sucking pig, and at a third for a steak of sturgeon or a baked pudding with onions, and who can sit down to table at any hour as though they had never had a meal in their lives, and can devour fish of all sorts, and guzzle and chew it with a view to provoking further appetite. These, I say, are the folk who enjoy heaven's most favored gift. To attain such a celestial condition, the great folk of whom I have spoken would sacrifice half their serfs and half their mortgaged and non-mortgaged property, with the foreign and domestic improvements thereon, if thereby they could compass such a stomach as is possessed by the folk of the middle class. But, unfortunately, neither money nor real estate, whether improved or non-improved, can purchase such a stomach. The little wooden tavern, with its narrow but hospitable curtain suspended from a pair of rough-hewn doorposts like old church candlesticks, seemed to invite Chichikov to enter. True, the establishment was only a Russian hut of the ordinary type, but it was a hut of larger dimensions than usual, and had around its windows and gables carved and patterned cornices of bright-colored wood which threw into relief the darker hue of the walls, and consorted well with the flowered pictures painted on the shutters. Ascending the narrow wooden staircase to the upper floor and arriving upon a broad landing, Chichikov found himself confronted with a creaking door and a stout old woman in a striped print gown. "'This way, if you please,' she said. Within the apartment designated, Chichikov encountered the old friends which one invariably finds in such roadside hostelries, to wit, a heavy samovar, four smooth, bescratched walls of white pine, a three-cornered press with cups and teapots, egg-cups of gilded china standing in front of icons suspended by blue and red ribbons, a cat lately delivered of a family, a mirror which gives one four eyes instead of two and a pancake for a face, and, beside the icons, some bunches of herbs and carnations of such faded dustiness that should one attempt to smell them, one is bound to burst out sneezing. "'Have you a sucking pig?' Chichikov inquired of the landlady as she stood expectantly before him. "'Yes. And some horseradish and sour cream?' "'Yes. Then serve them.' The landlady departed for the purpose, and returned with a plate, a napkin, the latter starched to the consistency of dried bark, a knife with a bone handle beginning to turn yellow, 
a two-pronged fork as thin as a wafer, and a salt cellar incapable of being made to stand upright. Following the accepted custom, our hero entered into conversation with the woman and inquired whether she herself or a landlord kept the tavern, how much income the tavern brought in, whether her sons lived with her, whether the oldest was a bachelor or married, whom the eldest had taken to wife, whether the dowry had been large, whether the father-in-law had been satisfied, and whether the said father-in-law had not complained of receiving too small a present at the wedding. In short, Chichikov touched on every conceivable point. Likewise, of course, he displayed some curiosity as to the landowners of the neighborhood. Their names, he ascertained, were Blochin, Pochekeev, Minoy, Cheprakov, and Sobakevich. "'Then you are acquainted with Sobakevich,' he said, whereupon the old woman informed him that she knew not only Sobakevich, but also Manilov, and that the latter was the more delicate eater of the two, since, whereas Manilov always ordered a roast fowl and some veal and mutton, and then tasted merely a morsel of each, Sobakevich would order one dish only, but consume the whole of it, and then demand more at the same price. Whilst Chichikov was thus conversing and partaking of the sucking pig, until only a fragment of it seemed likely to remain, the sound of an approaching vehicle made itself heard. Peering through the window, he saw draw up to the tavern door a light britchka drawn by three fine horses. From it there descended two men, one flaxen-haired and tall, the other dark-haired and of a slighter build. While the flaxen-haired man was clad in a dark blue coat, the other one was wrapped in a coat of striped pattern. Behind the britchka stood a second, but an empty, turnout, drawn by four long-coated steeds in ragged collars and rope harnesses. The flaxen-haired man lost no time in ascending the staircase, while his darker friend remained below to fumble at something in a britchka, talking as he did so to the driver of the vehicle which stood hitched behind. Somehow the dark-haired man's voice struck Chichikov as familiar, and as he was taking another look at him, the flaxen-haired gentleman entered the room. The, the newcomer was a man of lofty stature, with a small red moustache and a lean, hard-bitten face whose redness made it evident that its acquaintance, if not with the smoke of gunpowder, at all events with that of tobacco, was intimate and extensive. Nevertheless, he greeted Chichikov civilly, and the latter returned his bow. Indeed, the pair would have entered into conversation and have made one another's acquaintance, since a beginning was made with their simultaneously expressing satisfaction at the circumstances that the previous night's rain had laid the dust on the roads, and thereby made driving cool and pleasant, when the gentleman's dark-favored friend also entered the room, and, throwing his cap upon the table, pushed back a mass of disheveled black locks from his brow. The latest arrival was a man of medium height, but well put together, and possessed of a pair of full red cheeks, a set of teeth as white as snow, and coal-black whiskers. Indeed, so fresh was his complexion that it seemed to have been compounded of blood and milk, while health danced in his every feature. "'Ha, ha, ha!' he cried, with a gesture of astonishment at the sight of Chichikov. "'What chance brings you here?' Upon that Chichikov recognized Nozdrev, the men whom he had met at dinner at the public prosecutor's, and who, within a minute or two of the introduction, had become so intimate with his fellow guest as to address him in the second person singular, in spite of the fact that Chichikov had given him no opportunity for doing so. "'Where have you been to-day?' Nozdrev inquired, and without waiting for an answer went on, "'For myself I am just from the fair and completely cleaned out.' Actually, I have had to do the journey back with stage horses. Look out the window and see them for yourself. And he turned Chichikov's head so sharply in the desired direction that he came very near to bumping it against the window frame. 
Did you ever see such a bag of tricks? The cursed things have only just managed to get here. In fact, on the way I had to transfer myself to this fellow's britchka. He indicated his companion with a finger. By the way, don't you know one another? He is Mizhev, my brother-in-law. He and I were talking of you only this morning. Just you see, said I to him, if we do not fall in with Chichikov before we have done. Heavens, how completely cleaned out I am! Not only have I lost four good horses, but also my watch and chain. Chichikov perceived that in very truth his interlocutor was minus the articles named, as well as that one of Nozdrev's whiskers was less bushy in appearance than the other one. Had I had another twenty roubles in my pocket, went on Nozdrev, I should have won back all that I lost, as well as have pouched a further thirty thousand. Yes, I give you my word of honour on that. But you were saying the same thing when last I met you, put in the flaxen-haired man. Even though I lent you fifty roubles, you lost them all. But I should not have lost them this time. Don't try to make me out a fool. I should not have lost them, I tell you. Had I only played the right card, I should have broken the bank. But you did not break the bank, remarked the flaxen-haired man. No, that was because I did not play my cards right. But what about your precious major's play? Is that good? Good or not, at least he beat you. Splendid of him. Nevertheless, I will get my own back. Let him play me at doubles, and we shall soon see what sort of player he is. Friend Chichikov, at first we had a glorious time, for the fair was a tremendous success. Indeed, the tradesmen said that never yet had there been such a gathering. I myself managed to sell everything for my estate at a good price. In fact, we had a magnificent time. I can't help thinking of it, devil take me. What a pity you were not there. Three versts from the town there is quartered a regiment of dragoons, and you would scarcely believe what a lot of officers it has. Forty at least there are, and they do a fine lot of knocking about the town and drinking. In particular, Staff Captain Potsuluev is a splendid fellow. You should see his mustache. Why, he calls good claret trash. Bring me some of the usual trash, is his way of ordering it. And Lieutenant Kuvshinikov, too. He is as delightful as the other man. In fact, I may say that every one of the lot is a rake. I spent my whole time with them, and you can imagine that Ponomarev, the wine merchant, did a fine trade indeed. All the same, he is a rascal, you know, and ought not to be dealt with, for he puts all sorts of rubbish into his liquor. Indian wood and burnt cork and elderberry juice, the villain. Nevertheless, get him to produce a bottle from what he calls his special cellar, and you will fancy yourself in the seventh heaven of delight. And what quantities of champagne we drank! Compared with it, provincial stuff is kvass. Footnote 1. Try to imagine not merely Clicquot, but a blend of Clicquot and Metradura, Clicquot of double strength. Also, Ponomarev produced a bottle of French stuff which he calls Bonbon. Had it a bouquet, ask you? Why, it had the bouquet of a rose garden, of anything else you like. What times we had, to be sure! Just after we had left Pomarev's place, some prince or other arrived in the town and sent out for some champagne. But not a bottle was there left, for the officers had drunk every one. Why, I myself got through seventeen bottles at a sitting. Footnote 1. A liquor distilled from fermented bread crusts or sour fruit. 
"'Come, come, you can't have got through seventeen, remarked the flaxen-haired man. "'But I did, I give you my word of honor," retorted Nozdrev. "'Imagine what you like, but you didn't drink even ten bottles at a sitting. "'Will you bet that I did not?' "'No, for what would be the use of betting about it? "'Then at least wager the gun which you have bought. "'No, I am not going to do anything of the kind. "'Just an experiment? "'No.' It is well for you that you don't, since otherwise you would have found yourself minus both gun and cap. However, friend Chichikov, it is a pity you were not there. Had you been there, I feel sure you would have found yourself unable to part with Lieutenant Kuvshinikov. You and he would have hit it off splendidly. You know, he is quite a different sort from the public prosecutor and our other provincial skinflints fellows who shiver in their shoes before they will spend a single kopeck, he will play faro, or anything else, and at any time. Why did you not come with us instead of wasting your time on cattle breeding or something of the sort? But never mind. Embrace me. I like you immensely. Mishev, see how curiously things have turned out? Chichikov has nothing to do with me, or I with him. Yet here is he, come from God knows where, and landed in the very spot where I happen to be living. I may tell you that no matter how many carriages I possessed, I should gamble the lot away. Recently I went in for a turn at billiards and lost two jars of pomade, a china teapot, and a guitar. Then I staked some more things, and, like a fool, lost them all, and six roubles in addition. What a dog is that Kuvshinikov! He and I attended nearly every ball in the place. In particular, there was a woman, décolleté, and such a swell. I merely thought to myself, the devil take her. But Kuvshinikov is such a swag that he sat down beside her and began paying her strings of compliments in French. However, I did not neglect the damsels altogether, although he calls that sort of thing going in for strawberries. By the way, I have a splendid piece of fish and some caviar with me. Tis all I have brought back. In fact, it's a lucky chance that I happened to buy the stuff before my money was gone. Where are you for? I am about to call on a friend. On what friend? Let him go to the devil and come to my place instead. I cannot, I cannot. I have business to do. Oh, business again! I thought so. But I have business to do, and pressing business at that. I wager that you're lying. If not, tell me whom you're going to call upon. Upon Sobakevich. Instantly Nozdrev burst into a laugh compassable only by a healthy man in whose head every tooth still remains as white as sugar. By this I mean the laugh of quivering cheeks, the laugh which causes a neighbor who is sleeping behind double doors three rooms away to leap from his bed and exclaim with distended eyes, "'Hello! Something has upset him!' "'What is there to laugh at?' asked Chichikov, a trifle nettled. But Nozdrev laughed more unrestrainedly than ever, ejaculating, "'Oh, spare us all! The thing is so amusing that I shall die of it!' I say that there is nothing to laugh at, repeated Chichikov. It is in fulfillment of a promise that I am on my way to Sobakevich's. Then you will scarcely be glad to be alive when you have got there, for he is the veriest miser in the countryside. Oh, I know you. However, if you think to find there either pharaoh or a bottle of bonbon, you are mistaken. Look here, my good friend. Let Sobakevich go to the devil and come to my place, where at least I shall have a piece of sturgeon to offer you for dinner. Ponomarev said to me on parting, 
this piece is just the thing for you. Even if you were to search the whole market, you would never find a better one. But of course he is a terrible rogue. I said to him outright, you and the collector of taxes are the two greatest skinflints in the town. But he only stroked his beard and smiled. Every day I used to breakfast with Kuvshinikov in his restaurant. Well, what I was nearly forgetting is this that, though I am aware that you can't forgo your engagement, I am not going to give you up. No, not for ten thousand roubles of money. I tell you that in advance. Here he broke off to run to the window and shout to his servant, who was holding a knife in one hand and a crust of bread and a piece of sturgeon in the other. He had contrived to filch the latter while fumbling in the britchka for something else. Hi, Porfiri, bring here that puppy, you rascal. What a puppy it is! Unfortunately, that thief of a landlord has given it nothing to eat, even though I have promised him the roan filly, which, as you may remember, I swapped from Kovestirev. As a matter of fact, Chichinikov had never in his life seen either Kovestirev or the roan filly. Baron, do you wish for anything to eat? inquired the landlady as she entered. No, nothing at all. Ah, friend Chichikov, what times we had! Yes, give me a glass of vodka, old woman. What sort do you keep? Aniseed. Then bring me a glass of it, repeated Nozdrev. And one for me as well, added the flaxen-haired man. At the theatre, went on Nozdrev, there was an actress who sang like a canary. Kuvshinikov, who happened to be sitting with me, said, My boy, you had better go and gather that strawberry. As for the booths at the fair, they numbered, I should say, fifty. At this point he broke off to take the glass of vodka from the landlady, who bowed low in acknowledgment of his doing so. At the same moment Pofiri, a fellow dressed like his master, that is to say, in a greasy, wadded overcoat, entered with the puppy. "'Put the brute down here,' commanded Nozdrev, "'and then fasten it up.' Pofiri deposited the animal upon the floor, whereupon it proceeded to act in the manner of dogs. "'There's a puppy for you,' cried Nozdrev, catching hold of it by the back and lifting it up. The puppy uttered a piteous yelp. "'I can see that you haven't done what I told you to do,' he continued to Pofiri, after an inspection of the animal's belly. "'You have quite forgotten to brush him.' "'I did brush him,' protested Pofiri. "'Then where did these fleas come from?' "'I cannot think. Perhaps they have leapt into his coat out of the britchka.' "'You liar! As a matter of fact, you have forgotten to brush him. "'Nevertheless, look at these ears, Chichikov. Just feel them.' "'Why should I? Without doing that, I can see that he is well-bred. "'Nevertheless, catch hold of his ears and feel them.' "'To humour the fellow, Chichikov did as he had requested, remarking, "'Yes, he seems likely to turn out well. "'And feel the coldness of his nose. Just take it in your hand.' Not wishing to offend his interlocutor, Chichikov felt the puppy's nose, saying, "'Some day he will have an excellent scent.' "'Yes, will he not? "'Tis the right sort of muzzle for that. "'I must say that I have long been wanting such a puppy. "'Pofiri, take him away again.' Pofiri lifted up the puppy and bore it downstairs. "'Look here, Chichikov,' resumed Nozdrev. "'You must come to my place. "'It lies only five versts away, "'and we can go there like the wind, "'and you can visit Sobakevich afterwards.' "'Shall I, or shall I not, go to Nozdrev's?' reflected Chichikov. "'Is he likely to prove any more useful than the rest? "'Well, at least he is as promising, even though he has lost so much at play. "'But he has a head on his shoulders, and therefore I must go carefully "'if I am to tackle him concerning my scheme.' "'With that he added aloud, 
"'Very well, I will come with you. "'But do not let us be long, for my time is very precious.' "'That's right, that's right,' cried Nostrev. "'Splendid, splendid, let me embrace you.' "'And he fell upon Chichikov's neck. "'All three of us will go.' "'No, no,' put in the flaxen-haired man. "'You must excuse me, for I must be off home. "'Rubbish, rubbish! I am not going to excuse you.' "'But my wife will be furious with me. "'You and Monsieur Chichikov must change into the other britchka. "'Come, come, the thing is not to be thought of.' "'The flaxen-haired man was one of those people "'in whose character, at first sight, "'there seems to lurk a certain grain of stubbornness, "'so much so that almost before one has begun to speak "'they are ready to dispute one's words "'and to disagree with anything that may be opposed "'to their peculiar form of opinion. "'For instance, they will decline to have folly called wisdom,' or any tune danced to but their own. Always, however, will there become manifest in their character a soft spot, and in the end they will accept what hitherto they had denied, and call what is foolish sensible, and even dance, yes, better than any one else will do, to a tune set by some one else. In short, they generally begin well, but always end badly." "'Rubbish!' said Nozdrev, in answer to a further objection on his brother-in-law's part. And sure enough, no sooner had Nozdrev clapped his cap upon his head than the flaxen-haired man started to follow him and his companion. "'But the gentleman has not paid for the vodka,' put in the old woman. "'All right, all right, good mother. Look here, brother-in-law. Pay her, will you? For I have not a kopeck left.' "'How much?' inquired the brother-in-law. "'What, sir?' Eighty kopecks, if you please,' replied the old woman. "'A lie! Give her half a rouble. That will be quite enough.' "'No, it will not, Baron,' protested the old woman. However, she took the money gratefully, and even ran to the door to open it for the gentleman. As a matter of fact, she had lost nothing by the transaction, since she had demanded fully a quarter more than the vodka was worth. The travellers took their seats and since Chichikov's britchka kept along the britchka wherein Nozdrev and his brother-in-law were seated, it was possible for all three men to converse together as they proceeded. Behind them came Nozdrev's smaller buggy, with its team of lean stage-horses, and Pofiri and the puppy. But, inasmuch as the conversation which the travellers maintained was not of a kind likely to interest the reader, I might do worse than say something concerning Nozdrev himself— seeing that he is destined to play no small role in our story. Nozdrev's face will be familiar to the reader, seeing that every one must have encountered many such. Fellows of the kind are known as gay young sparks, and even in their boyhood and school days earn a reputation for being Bond's comrades, though with it all they come in for some hard knocks, for the reason that their faces evince an element of frankness, directness, and enterprise which enables them soon to make friends, and, almost before you have had time to look around, to start addressing you in the second-person singular. Yet, while cementing such friendships for all eternity, almost always they begin quarrelling the same evening, since throughout they are a loquacious, dissipated, high-spirited, over-showy tribe. Indeed, at thirty-five, Nozdrev was just what he had been at eighteen and twenty. He was just such a lover of fast living." nor had his marriage in any way changed him, and the less so since his wife had soon departed to another world, and left behind her two children, whom he did not want, and who were therefore placed in the charge of a good-looking nursemaid. 
Never at any time could he remain at home for more than a single day, for his keen scent could range over scores and scores of versts and detect any fair which promised balls and crowds. Consequently, in a trice he would be there, quarreling and creating disturbance over the gaming-table. Like all men of his tribe, he had a perfect passion for cards, yet playing neither a faultless nor an overclean game, since he was a both a blunderer and able to indulge in a large number of illicit cuts and other devices. The result was that the game often ended in another kind of sport altogether. That is to say, either he received a good kicking, or he had his thick and very handsome whiskers pulled, with the result that on certain occasions he returned home with one of those appendages looking decidedly ragged. Yet his plump, healthy-looking cheeks were so robustly constituted, and contained such an abundance of recreative vigor, that a new whisker soon sprouted in place of the old one, and even surpassed its predecessor. Again, and the following is a phenomenon peculiar to Russia, a very short time would have elapsed before once more he would be consorting with the very cronies who had recently cuffed him, and consorting with them as though nothing whatsoever had happened, no reference to the subject being made by him, and they too holding their tongues. In short, Nozdrev was, as it were, a man of incident. Never was he present at any gathering without some sort of a fracas occurring thereat. Either he would require to be expelled from the room by gendarmes, or his friends would have to kick him out into the street. At all events, should neither of those occurrences take place, at least he did something of a nature which would not otherwise have been witnessed. That is to say, should he not play the fool in a buffet to such an extent as to make everyone smile, you may be sure that he was engaged in lying to a degree which at times abashed even himself. Moreover, the man lied without reason. For instance, he would begin telling a story to the effect that he possessed a blue-coated or a red-coated horse, until, in the end, his listeners would be forced to leave him with the remark, "'You are giving us some fine fluff, old fellow.' Also, men like Nozdrev have a passion for insulting their neighbors without the least excuse afforded. For that matter, even a man of good standing and of respectable exterior, a man with a star on his breast, may unexpectedly press your hand one day and begin talking to you on subjects of a nature to give food for serious thought. Yet, just as unexpectedly may that man start abusing you to your face, and do so in a manner worthy of a collegiate registrar, rather than of a man who wears a star on his breast and aspires to converse on subjects which merit reflection. All that one can do in such a case is to stand shrugging one's shoulders in amazement. Well, Nozdrev had just such a weakness. The more he became friendly with a man, the sooner would he insult him and be ready to spread calumnies as to his reputation. Yet all the while he would consider himself the insulted one's friend, and should he meet him again, would greet him in the most amicable style possible, and say, "'You rascal! Why have you given up coming to see me?' Thus, taken all around, Nozdrev was a person of many aspects and numerous potentialities. In one and the same breath would he propose to go with you whithersoever you might choose, even to the very ends of the world should you so require, or to enter upon any sort of an enterprise with you, or to exchange any commodity with any other commodity which you might care to name. Guns, horses, dogs, all were subjects for barter, though not for profit so far as you were concerned. Such traits are mostly the outcome of a boisterous temperament, as is additionally exemplified by the fact that if at a fair he chanced to fall in with a simpleton and to fleece him, he would then proceed to buy a quantity of the very first articles which came to hand, 
horse collars, cigar lighters, dresses for his nursemaid, foals, raisins, silver ewers, lengths of holland, wheat meal, tobacco, revolvers, dried herrings, pictures, whetstones, crockery, boots, and so forth, until every atom of his money was exhausted. Yet seldom were these articles conveyed home, since, as a rule, the same day saw them lost to some more skilful gambler in addition to his pipe, his tobacco pouch, his mouthpiece, his four-horse turnout, and his coachman, with the result that, stripped to his very shirt, he would be forced to beg the loan of a vehicle from a friend. Such was Nozdrev. Some may say that characters of his type have become extinct, that Nozdrevs no longer exist. Alas, such as say this will be wrong, for many a day must pass before the Nozdrevs will have disappeared from our ken. Everywhere they are to be seen in our midst, the only difference between the new and the old being a difference of garments. Persons of superficial observation are apt to consider that a man clad in a different coat is quite a different person from what he used to be. End of Part 1 Chapter 4 Section 1